Welcome to In Social Work, the podcast series of the University of Buffalo School of Social Work at www.insocialwork.org. We're glad you could join us today. The purpose of In Social Work is to engage practitioners and researchers in lifelong learning and to promote research to practice and practice to research. We educate, we connect, we care. We're In Social Work. Hi from Buffalo. The late Tim Russert, the long-term host of NBC's Meet the Press, almost never stopped talking about his Buffalo roots. An exhibit of his NBC office has now taken up permanent residence at Buffalo's History Museum. Tim's affection for Western New York is clearly apparent in his office, which is filled with Buffalo memorabilia and probably way too many pieces related to his beloved Buffalo Bills. If you're a news junkie, You get all the benefits of the exhibit and an experience of an incredibly beautiful building that was built for the Pan American Exposition that Buffalo hosted in 1901. I'm Peter Sabota. Social workers have many paths to continue their professional development following the completion of their graduate education. Many follow a kind of ladder model, moving up through agencies into supervisory and administrative positions, while others choose a more non-traditional path. In this episode, our guest Nicole Clark, LMSW, describes her journey from agency practitioner to a self-employed independent consulting practice. Ms. Clark discusses how she embraced the entrepreneurial spirit, moved forward, and eventually made a headlong leap into beginning her own business. She speaks with experience about the barriers and risks that she perceived and that threaten the security that many professionals experience in agency-based practice. Ms. Clark offers advice based on her reticence to strike out on her own and what she did to overcome it. She describes the role of passion in entrepreneurship and how she utilized technology, the importance of mentors, and other practical recommendations that she found helpful in her successful launch. Ms. Clark highlights the benefits for social workers in self-employment and entrepreneurship and shares her perceived best practices in this endeavor. Finally, Ms. Clark describes her own passion and primary focus of her practice, the reproductive justice framework. Nicole Clark, LMSW, is a licensed social worker, independent consultant, and reproductive justice activist who uses the RJ framework with nonprofits, government agencies, and community groups. Nicole Clark was interviewed in January of 2017 by our own Connor Walters, an MSW PhD student here at the UV School of Social Work. I'm Connor Walters, a PhD student at the University of Buffalo School of Social Work, here with me to talk about reproductive justice, entrepreneurship, and her independent consulting business is Nicole Clark. Nicole, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. So to start, tell us a little bit about your business and the structure, the services you offer, and the clients you tend to work with. My business officially began in 2013 when I finalized my business structure paperwork. But I would say that it began back in 2011, really initially as a Tumblr blog. I started blogging a little bit about feminism, reproductive justice, and then eventually I started to blog a little bit more about program design and evaluation and just social work in general. It was initially a side 
passion project that I developed. I was working full-time with an organization here in New York City called Housing Works. I had been with them for about five and a half years before I left back in May of 2016 to do my business consulting full-time. What my business structure is, I work for myself. I'm an employee of one person right now. And I offer services that focus on reproductive justice, program design, and program evaluation. And so my clients are a mixed bag of nonprofits, community organizations, and government agencies who primarily provide services for women, girls, women of girls of color, and they also are interested in the reproductive justice framework. And so what I've been doing with them for the past Two and a half years is helping them to design and evaluate the programs and services that they offer for women and girls of color as it relates to the reproductive justice framework. Could you tell us a little bit more about what the reproductive justice framework is for people who might not study that particular area of social work? Yes. I was introduced to the reproductive justice framework back in 2003 when I was a undergraduate student in Selman College in Atlanta, Georgia. And what reproductive justice is, in essence, it's an intersectional theory that emerges from the experiences of black women and women of color whose multiple community experiences complex set of reproductive oppressions. So it's based on the understanding that race, class, gender, and sexual identity can often impact how we go about accessing reproductive health care services. So I would consider it more of a holistic approach that links sexuality, health, and human rights to social justice, and it places abortion and reproductive health issues within a larger context of the well-being and health of women, families, and communities. To tie it into what we typically hear about reproductive health, reproductive rights, reproductive health is more on a micro level if you're thinking about it in terms of social work practice. And so reproductive health, you're meeting with your provider one-on-one and they're educating you on the different services that they provide and what services that you would like to have as well. Reproductive rights is more so along the lines of policy change. And so reproductive justice um, in comparison is more of a community organizing holistic perspective that brings about the different communities and women and girls and women and girls of color in general to fight more reproductive oppressions and to recognize the different ways that racism, sexism, and classism and different types of gender identity tend to impact how we access reproductive health care services. All right. Thank you. So you graduated from the Columbia University School of Social Work with a focus in advanced general's practice and programming and contemporary issues in 2010. Tell us more about general's practice and your decision on choosing this path to social work. Well, initially when I entered social work school, my plan was to become a clinical social worker. So preparing my classwork to focus more on a clinical perspective. So I wanted to have my own private practice. At the time, I wasn't really sure if I wanted to focus more on mental health or focus still on reproductive health rights and justice work. But I was introduced to the advanced journalist practice and programming 
focus at Columbia, and I thought that it spoke better to me in comparison to the other fields, which were clinical, policy, and administration, because I felt that generalist practice allows for you to still have the clinical perspective, but at the same time, it allows for you to focus on a programmatic perspective of agencies or programs and organizations such as strategic planning, um, evaluation, and things of that nature. And so I think with generalist social work, it focuses on individuals and communities within their social context, and it really lends itself very well to just the reproductive justice framework in general, because it uses a variety of assessments and planning and intervention skills. And one way that I've been able to become more of a journalist practice social worker over the years is tying it as much as I can to the reproductive justice framework and also into program design. So I think it's the more well-rounded version of social work that I love to talk to different social work students about. They kind of get that in their head about the different ways that we can do social work. In your time being in the social work field since 2010, how did you go from micro-level social work to running an independent consulting business? So I was with my organization, Housing Works, which is a nonprofit that's based here in New York City. Um, Azusa's been around for over 20 years, and their primary focus is on ending the dual crises of homelessness and HIV-AIDS in New York City. It was the first job that I had once I graduated from Columbia, and my primary focus was on direct practice and case management. When I first started, I had a caseload of about I would say a little under 40 clients. The majority of them at the time were living with HIV or AIDS. Many of them were having issues with housing. But then throughout the years, I was starting to develop more and more of a passion for social justice issues and reproductive justice in particular. And I never thought that I would be in a position where I am now as a one-person business. Entrepreneurship was never something that I considered because I think like for most people, we're socialized or we're conditioned to go to school, find a job, and be at that job for X amount of years and then retire. But entrepreneurship is always considered something that is more risky. And so outside of just thinking more about entrepreneurship, I started to develop and be presented with different opportunities where I could do workshops that focus on a reproductive justice framework. I mean, also do panel presentations and presentations not only in New York City, but across the country. And people were starting to ask for me to come to them to do workshops and panel discussions and speaking engagements and things like that. And so I started to think more about how I could leverage this. But again, I wasn't really thinking moving away from my job because my job presented a lot of structure and a lot of security for me. So it wasn't until towards the latter part of 2015 that I started to think more about leaving my job and transitioning into full-time consulting work because I was also starting to come across people who were in business for themselves, hearing about what they considered the, the pros and cons of entrepreneurship and I started to think, well, maybe this is something that I could do because there were a lot of people who are very interested in the reproductive justice framework, 
program design and curriculum development and just evaluation work in general. At the beginning of 2016, I made a decision that I was going to leave my job in May of 2016 to go into my consulting full-time on June 1st. And so I submitted my notice to my supervisor in March of 2016, um, and I stayed on my job until May 31st of 2016 to allow for my supervisor to find someone to replace me so that I can also assist with um, training that person. And I left on May 31st of 2016, and I started full-time on June 1st. Can you talk a little bit more about those, those risks that you might have seen involved with leaving the traditional social work setting to become an entrepreneur? And what advice would you give to professional social workers and social work students who are interested in taking an unconventional approach to social work, whether that's entrepreneurship or something else that might be risky? So I think, in general, there's a lot of perceived risk for leaving what you consider to be security and moving on to something that may be considered more of an unknown and more of a risk that way. Some advice that I would give to social work students and also social work professionals who are wanting to either leave their job to either go into business for themselves full-time or to even stay at their job full-time or part-time but do something a little bit more on the side, the advice that I have is to identify your value positioning. And what I mean by that is identify what it is that you're passionate about and that if you could do it for the rest of your life, this is the thing that you would want to do. One way to identify what that is is blogging. Blogging was very instrumental in me making the decision to go into my business full-time because it allowed for me to kind of identify what my voice is out in the world in the context of just social work and reproductive justice and just program design and evaluation. And by me blogging on a pretty consistent basis, I've been able to share my perspective on the things that I care about, like social work and, and entrepreneurship, reproductive justice, feminism and things like that and to be known for those things and that's how I've gotten a lot of work in terms of my clientele because people know me based on my blog. So I definitely would say identify what your value positioning is, what skill sets and expertise that you want to share with the world and find a way to share those things whether it's blogging or consistently posting on social media definitely find a way to identify what your value positioning is. Another piece of advice that I would share is to identify who your mentors and your peers are. They can definitely be people that you meet in person or they can be people that you meet online. And have it be a mixture of people who are on the same level as you are in terms of your skill set and your expertise. But also don't be afraid to find mentors and peers who have been in consulting or transitioning to entrepreneurship and they've been at it for a much longer time than you have because they're able to kind of help you along with recognizing what potential pitfalls are or um, giving you different tools and tips and advice on how to run a business. And they can give you really, really great practical advice on just being an entrepreneur 
identifying different ways that you can take your business and just being overall support systems for you. So definitely figure out who your mentors are and your peers and be connected to them as much as possible. Another piece of advice I would share is to set a deadline. I gave myself May 31st of 2016, even though I had been thinking about it for a few years now. And even though it gave me a little anxiety to know that the May 31st team was approaching, it excited me enough to want to make it happen. So I was able to get up as much client work as much as possible so that I felt comfortable actually leaving my job on May 31st to go into business for myself on June 1st. And a last piece of advice that I would share is to always stay a student, whether it's going to conferences, attending webinars, reading books, reading blog posts, or even listening to different types of podcasts. Always make sure that you're staying up to date on what you want to develop your business in. So I always make sure that I'm doing a lot of webinars and trainings and just connecting with people who are in the field. And another piece of advice that I'm actually thinking about right now is probably one of the bigger risks that if you don't have this with your business that it may present a lot of challenges for you. But I think overall the number one thing is to find a way to maintain some form of structure. And I think when we're in school and when we are at our day jobs, it provides us with a lot of structure. So for example, if we know that we have class, we have to be to work at 9 o'clock, we know that we have to get up at a certain time, we have to leave at a certain time, get there at a certain time. We may have to go to classes or to meetings, and everything is revolved around us and it's given to us in a form of structure. And one of the lessons that I've been learning as I've been in my business full-time for a few months now is that maintaining structure is more of a mental thing than it is a physical thing. It's a lot easier to submit a resignation. The physical part of submitting a resignation and leaving your job, that's very easy. But when it comes to maintaining a structure for yourself, you don't have a boss to tell you what to do anymore. You don't have professors to tell you what to do anymore. You have to be self-determined and have developed a particular type of structure for yourself. If you're not an early morning person, then work late evening may work best for you. Figure out a way that works a best structure for you. I tend to be an early riser, so I tend to be up around 6 a.m. on most days, and I try to work up until 2 or 3 p.m., so that allows for me to have the afternoon to myself. And even to go along with that, make sure that you give yourself a cutoff time. I think when we get really excited about different things that we're working on, we find ourselves working on it. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but it's very important to take some time away from what you're doing so that it allows you to come back and start fresh. So those are some advice pieces that I would give to students and professional social workers who are interested in self-employment. All right. Thank you so much for that advice. What do you think are the benefits of self-employment in this field? Why should more social workers consider entrepreneurship? I think when we think about social workers and entrepreneurship, it's typically within the context of clinical practice. We hear a lot about social workers who have their own private practices and they do one-on-one 
client work in a variety of fields. But I think it allows us to think more expansively. So even if you have a social worker who is interested in clinical social work, you can always find a way or develop that way to have the entrepreneurial spirit, whether it's within meso social work or also with macro social work. And there are lots of different ways that you can be an entrepreneur. Having clients where you're meeting with them one-on-one, -on -one, or you can identify yourself as a public speaker who likes to go around and give keynote addresses or speak to large and small nonprofits and things like that. And I also think that with entrepreneurship, it allows for social workers to develop what they really are passionate about. If you're someone who is passionate about clinical social work within the context of working with youth, you can identify yourself as a expert in that type of field. You don't necessarily have to be working for someone, even though there are a lot of people who go into entrepreneurship when they were initially working for someone and they started to develop a name for themselves. And there are a lot of social workers who, even though they are employed under someone, they still have an expertise where they're asked to go on TV to speak about it, or they go on to different podcasts or they go to different conferences to speak and give keynotes and things like that. So entrepreneurship is pretty much what you make it. And there's, in my opinion, no right or wrong way to do it. And I'm very excited that I've made this leap for myself. And I love to speak to different social professionals and also social work students who are interested in entrepreneurship as well. Sounds like for you this is really about finding something you love and finding a way to make sure that you're able to do that as much as possible in your career. Right. So make sure that it's something that is sustainable, not only financially for yourself, but also for the people that you're working for. Sure. On that topic of sustainability and other things, what do you consider best practices in transitioning into self-employment? And if a social worker prefers doing full or part-time employment but is interested in consulting opportunities, for example, on the side, what advice can you give? I think the biggest piece of advice that I would give is determine if you want to leave your job and then find out what you want to do or to find out what you want to do while you're still working for someone else, either full-time or part-time. And that's what I did and I found that it was the most beneficial for me. So like I said, I was with my agency for five and a half years, but I was slowly starting to build up my business on the side. and. I use my paid vacation days, I use early mornings and late evenings, I also use the weekend hours to develop my business. So when I was meeting with my clients, I would either meet with them on my paid off days, and so a lot of my vacation days, particularly within the last year of my job, were dedicated to meeting with my consulting clients. I also use those hours to go to conferences, to do workshops and things like that, so I was able to gain that expertise. Outside of blogging and social media, and people were starting to contact me a little bit more, wanting me to do more client work with them, and then it got to a point where the work that my business was starting to obtain was starting to overshadow the work that I was doing at my job. and so it got to a point where it became physically difficult to do both at the same time. 
And so that's when I made the decision to transition from being an employee to being in self-employment. And one thing that I mentioned a little bit earlier was around maintaining structure. It's definitely, definitely crucial to develop a structure for yourself where you can work on the things that you're passionate about, work with your clients at the same time, but also allow for you to develop a level of discipline. And I think a lot of times when we leave a job, we want to do away with everything that reminded us of being in a nine-to-five. We don't like having someone micromanaging us and things like that. We don't want someone to identify our own structure for us. But I've found within the last six or seven months or so that having a structure was very important in me becoming more successful and starting everything up. And also deciding if you want to work at home or to work in a co-working space or work in a coffee house or a library. Some people tend to be more productive when they're around other people, um, and then there are people who feel more productive when they are working from home. And I've found for myself that it's a little mixture of both. Even though I consider myself an introvert and I love working from home, I also like being around other people who may not be doing the same things that I'm doing, but they're doing their thing in a way that is productive, and it also motivates me to be productive as well. All right. So let's sort of transition into talking about your business specifically. Your consulting business focuses on three key areas, reproductive justice, program design, and program evaluation. How can social work be used to impact these three areas? Outside of my consulting business, I am an advisory committee member for Social Workers for Reproductive Justice. And so myself, along with 19 other professional social workers and social work students, we are developing ways to bring their reproductive justice framework to more social work students. And so within my business, I do a lot of reproductive justice one-on-one workshops with different organizations who may be familiar with the framework, but they may be having some difficulties in explaining what the framework is to not only their staff members, but also to the people that they provide programs and services for. In addition to that, with the program design, my program design focuses on how social workers and nonprofit professionals design programs and services for individuals and communities. And the last piece is program evaluation, where you're identifying what went well within a program and what things can be implemented to improve upon the program. And so social work can be used to impact these three areas. Even though we are more considered micro, meso, or macro, I always try to speak to particularly social work students and identifying ways that even though they are clinical social work students, always maintaining that social justice element to what they do. And so with me identifying or focusing on reproductive justice, program design, and program evaluation, I always make sure that there's a social justice element to what I do. So even though I'm working directly with clients, I'm trying to challenge them in ways where they can raise their voices for women and girls of color, whether it's in the ways that they design their programs, in ways that they evaluate their programs, and also just to promote the 
reproductive justice framework in general. All right. What tools or resources have been useful to you while growing and expanding your consulting business? Yeah, so I actually have a list of resources that I've been using over the last year or so that I've found to be very useful. The first one is Google Calendar, which is a free service by Google. I love it. I love how I can see my schedule at a glance. Mm -hmm. I also enjoy how I can connect both my personal calendar as well as my business calendar so that I'm not overlapping different types of events that I have to do either on a personal level but also for my clients. Boomerang by Gmail is a, a plug-in through Gmail where you can actually schedule emails to be sent out at a certain time and that's been very helpful for me because even if I decide to work late at night I don't want to be emailing my clients late at night and so I can type up an email and schedule it to be sent out the next day at 9 a.m. So that's been a really good tool for me as well. Another tool that I like using is called FreshBooks and it's a cloud accounting program where I'm able to bill my clients and also to see how everything is going with me financially. It gives alerts to my clients on if there's a bill that needs to be paid and it also allows me to see what I'm spending my money on in my business. MailChimp is a really good tool as well. It's a email service system where you're able to email newsletters and announcements to people who subscribe to your list. I believe the way that MailChimp works is it's a free service until you get to a certain number of email subscribers. I believe it is around 1,000 or 2,000 subscribers. And so for a lot of people just starting out, as you start to build up your business and also build up your email list, MailChimp is really great because you don't have to pay for it at the very beginning until you start to get more people to sign up for your email list. I also use WordPress. Before transitioning my blog to WordPress, I was using Tumblr, which was fine, but I noticed that a lot of the functionality that I needed for my business, I wasn't able to get that through Tumblr. So I transitioned my blog from Tumblr to WordPress in November of 2015. And I was able to do that through my web hosting, which is from Bluehost. They have support services that allow for you to transition your blog from another platform to WordPress and they also provide one-to-one -one WordPress support. So I really, really like that as well. Another thing that I use that's been very useful related to blogging and social media is a website called Canva, and it allows for you to create different types of images. You can create an image for your blog post, or you can create images for your social media, whether it's a Facebook cover or Twitter cover or for Instagram as well. So I've been able to use those to post images that I like from my blog posts so that people can connect to those as well. So those are just several out of a few um, tools and services that I like to use. In addition to SurveyMonkey and those types of services, I also like to use Typeform. And one reason why I like Typeform is that it's more aesthetically pleasing compared to different types of survey programs. And I recently had a survey on my website 
where I was gaining some feedback on a project that I'm going to be working on in the beginning of 2017. And I actually got a lot of people responding back to me saying that they really enjoyed the survey because it seemed to be kind of embedded into my website and it looked very aesthetically pleasing. So I like Typeform as well. So those are some of the tools and resources that I've been using to grow and expand my business. So what's next for you in your business? My top priority for 2017 is on the development of a toolkit. Right now, it is going to be a three-part training program that's going to combine reproductive justice, program design, and program evaluation for nonprofits, community organizations, and government agencies that want to start developing and approving programs and services that they provide within the RJ framework. And one of the reasons why I decided to come up with this toolkit was because I noticed that with many of my clients, they felt that they were doing reproductive justice in their work, but they were having some problems in explaining the framework to the people that they work with and also to the people that they provide programs and services for. And sometimes, even if they were very proficient in reproductive justice, they may be lacking some skills in program design or program evaluation. Throughout the past year and a half, I've noticed that the three have been pretty siloed for me in terms of the different clients that I'll be bringing into my practice. And many of them, they may have hired me to, for example, do a reproductive justice one-on-one training, but then they'll find out more about the program design work that I do and also the program evaluation work that I do. So instead of having things be more siloed for me, I've decided to create this toolkit and training program so that organizations can work on all three at the same time to develop a more well-rounded way of viewing the RJ framework and how it connects into the programs and services that they provide for their community. So. I'm looking forward to that. Ideally, I'm planning to have it done by April of 2017. So that's my major project for this year. Is there anything else you want to touch on that we didn't get to? No, I think that's it. I'm just really excited to just share more about just reproductive justice in general and more about entrepreneurship. I, like I said, I, I really enjoy speaking about both, particularly for social work students because I do tend to get a lot of emails from social work students whether they are at the bachelor's level or the master's level or at the PhD level. They're interested in finding different ways to make social work work for them. And so I'm really excited to add this piece to the podcast for students to consider. Absolutely. And I'm excited to have you. My name is Connor Walters from the University of Buffalo School of Social Work. I've been talking with Nicole Clark. Her business is Nicole Clark Consulting. Website is NicoleClarkConsulting.com. That's N-I-C-O-L-E-C-L-A-R-K Consulting.com. You can find her blog and her contact information there. Thank you again so much for talking with us, Nicole. Thank you, Connor. You've been listening to Nicole Clark discuss social work entrepreneurship on In Social Work. Hi, I'm Nancy Smith, Professor and Dean of the University of Buffalo School of Social Work. 
Thanks for listening to our podcast. We look forward to your continued support of the series. For more information about who we are as a school, our history, our online and on-the-ground degree in continuing education programs, we invite you to visit our website at www.socialwork.buffalo.edu. And while you're there, check out our Technology and Social Work Resource Center. You'll find it under the Community Resources menu.